So God desires to bring you freedom in many areas of your life. And I really believe he has freedom for us in the area of our worship to him. So today, that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna look a little bit at David's relationship with God. We're gonna look a little bit at the way he worshiped. And hopefully, we're gonna be encouraged to go deeper in our own worship to the Lord. So I wanna begin by asking you a question that I'm gonna end today with, and this question is this. Is our worship reflective of the love we have for God? Is our worship reflective of the love we have for God? So here's another way to say it, is what is coming out of us, not only in this type of worship, but in our daily lives. It's what coming out of us, the same as the love that we have inside of us. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask that question to you at the end. And I think that as we look at David, we can find a great example of this that can encourage us in our own worship to God. So let's just dive in there. We're going to take a look real quick at David's relationship with God. He loved God so much that those don't even give the right words to how much David loved God. He loved God so very much. In Psalm 27.4, we see David, he writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I think David, if he could choose, that's what he would do. He'd spend every waking moment worshiping, just gazing up at the Lord, loving on him and enjoying his presence. So David didn't just love God, he had a passion for God. God was his one thing, God was his one desire, and God was his one focus. I imagine as David was growing up, as you know, he was a shepherd, and so he was in the field, most likely alone, except for the sheep. I could imagine him just looking around all day at this beautiful creation and thinking about the awesome creator God. I can even imagine David thinking about his own job as a shepherd and that pointing him to the character of God, a God who loves him and who he is loved by by God. I can imagine him spending all day thinking about those things. David was a musician, as you know, so I can imagine that all day, every day, he was singing and playing and worshiping the Lord. If you're interested in checking out some psalms that talk about that time of David's life, you could check out Psalm 19 and uh, Psalm 23, and you'll see, that's the famous, the Lord is my shepherd. You'll see reflections of that time in David's life. So David was so in love with God, and God actually was so in love with David that we read in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that David was called a man after God's own heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that actually means, but that means that David took after his heavenly father. So the characteristics that you find in the father heart of God were actually found inside of David as well. Isn't that awesome? He had had what was in the father's heart. So because of David's intimate and relation or intimate relationship with God, David knew who God was. He knew God's character. But not only this, David knew who he was in God. Can you imagine when you're that close with somebody, you really know them and they know you. You know who you are with them. So this tight relationship with God, it helped David to keep trust in him no matter what. 
It helped David to continue to believe in him no matter what hard things happened. And his great love and relationship with God allowed for him to worship him with some pretty wild and outrageous worship. And now we're going to just talk a little bit about what I saw um, that characterized David's worship. So one of the things we can learn about David, uh, not about David, sorry, one of the things we can learn about worship through David's life is that his worship and our worship can silence the enemy. So I'm going to read a little bit from 1 Samuel, um, starting at 16, verse, or sorry, blah, I keep getting my words all crazy. First <laughs> um, Samuel 16, 14, it says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So this wasn't actually a spirit from the Lord, but it was a spirit of Satan that God allowed to bother Saul. If you skip a little ways ahead in verse 16, Saul's attendant says to him, let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play, and when the evil spirit from God comes on you, you will feel better. So their search went out across, across Israel, and they came across David. They came to David. Now remember, David has this super close relationship with God. The Holy Spirit had anointed him. The Holy Spirit was in him. So they found David. And verse 18 says, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem. He's brave and a warrior, and the Lord is with him. So they hired David. In verse 23, it says, Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So through that example, we see that David's worship sent the devil fleeing, but it's important to note that it wasn't the person of David. It was the power of God in his worship. It was the Holy Spirit in David's worship and his song coming out over the situation. So it wasn't exactly just David. It was the power of God. Psalm 8-2 says, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let me read it again. Psalm 8-2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So through praise, you've established a stronghold to silence the foe and the avenger. Praise silences the foe and the avenger. That's really exciting, you guys. Praise silences the foe and the avenger. So the enemy, he hates your worship. Anytime you raise up a shout, the enemy cringes. He doesn't want you going that direction. He doesn't want us to fix our eyes on the real truth, the real life, the real way. He doesn't want you to proclaim the truth of God over yourself, over your situation, over anyone around you. And when the enemy smells that authentic worship, I, can't, I don't even have the words, but I imagine he just starts shrieking and, and uh, going crazy, and he has to leave. There's no room left for him. When you lift your eyes up to God and you're proclaiming the goodness of God, the enemy can't even stand. Isn't that good news? James 4, 7, I was reminded of this. It says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I can't help but think that some of that submitting to God, or all of it, is lifting your eyes up to God instead of our circumstance. And you know, worship is what we're doing then in worship. We're lifting our eyes up to him. We're expressing the truth of who he is. And it says, resist the devil. So your worship is resisting the devil. You're not gonna go that way. Instead, you're choosing worship to lift your eyes up to God, and he has to flee. 
There is great power in worship. So I just want to share with you a couple, one song and one thing um, about my own life. So um, in my earlier young adult years, I was going through some major spiritual warfare, and worship has always been a really big part of my life, so songs just kind of flow out of me. Um, but I can remember myself, I think I was in my early 20s, I had a treadmill, and I like to walk on it, um, but I was also going through some spiritual battles, so I would be walking on my treadmill, if you can just imagine me, and uh, I'm singing this song, um, Yolanda Adams, any Yolanda Adams fans out there? Maybe a couple. Anyhow, you'll be one after this. Um, <laughs> this song is called Victory. So I'd be walking on my treadmill and I'm singing, I've got, I've got the victory. I've got the sweet, sweet victory in Jesus. Yes, I do. He is a mighty conqueror. In him I will fight all my battles. He'll fight. I will trust all my battles. He'll fight. So can you picture that? I'm walking on my treadmill just doing battle. But it's not me. It's the power of God that's coming out of my worship doing battle. I thought of another song that you can use, and there's so many out there, but Our God. Anybody know that song? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Even singing that at this moment, I feel just the presence of God in those truthful words. So if you get anything from today, take the truth that worship um, is a weapon and um, it can make the enemy flee. That's a great tool that God has given us. Another thing I see in David's worship is that it was unstoppable. David's worship was unstoppable. He never stopped worshiping God no matter what. And he had a lot of bad things go on in his life, as you've heard in the last few weeks. He was hunted by Saul, who was the king at that time. Um, Saul wanted him dead because he was so envious of David and David's blessing. Uh, he faced battle upon battle. David ex experienced extreme loneliness. And he even had a time where he was running from his own son who wanted him dead so his son could take the throne. So David had a lot of things going on. But throughout all of that, he never gave up once and he never turned against God. He would continue to lift God up and would choose to worship God. And I just want to note, it's not that he didn't feel that bad at times because he definitely felt bad many, many times. And if you read through the Psalms, especially these Psalms that he wrote in the time of trial, you're going to see that David, he laid all of his feelings out before the Lord. He didn't hold back. That is one of my most favorite things about David. He gave us an example of laying it out before the Lord, giving him our every thought, no matter what we felt. Um, so in that, he laid it all before the Lord, but then in the same breath, you guys, he remembered the character of God, and he lifted up praise in the midst of his circumstance, and we can do that too. He is a great example of this verse, Hebrews 13, 15, and I'm, this verse is talking about the sacrifice of praise, because you're not always going to feel like doing, or feel like praising, right? Even I sometimes don't feel like praising, um, but the sacrifice of praise. It says, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise through the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Those praises are probably the hardest praises to do, but they are so, so beautiful. It's not easy in the hard things of life to fix your eyes on Jesus rather than the circumstances. Um, I even have a hard time with that sometimes when I'm really feeling pain or I'm really feeling worry. Um, I eventually get there, but it's not an easy thing to do. 
So having unstoppable worship doesn't mean that you have to pretend all the time like you're okay. And actually, we're really good at pretending like we're not, or like we're okay, right? That happens in church all the time. Um, This is an invitation to you, is you don't have to pretend like everything is okay. David didn't pretend like everything was okay. We can bring all of who we are to the Lord, especially before the Lord. So I wanna encourage you to bring your whole self to God. Bring your offering, bring your sacrifice, just like David did. And God, you'll find, takes us as we are. He takes us just, just as we are. So I wanna encourage you, find your cry of worship in your hard time and like let it out to him. Just connect your eyes, connect your heart to God. And one neat thing about worship is it brings us into right alignment. So as you're sticking your eyes on God, you're putting on your your heart, that's actually how it was meant to be, a place where we are dependent on God. That's how he originally created us. So find that worship cry and go to that place. I want to share with you um, just two more things. There's a, not just two more things, but a part, this part. There's a song called Waymaker. We've sung it a lot here. This is such a great song to use when you just need to cry out to God. And the great thing about it is because we're just speaking the truth of who God is over ourselves, over our situation. The chorus goes, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Use that song. That is just the best song. I love it. Um, I want to share with you one, time, one really hard time in my life and how um, God had helped me use worship um, to walk through that time. So I believe this is about 2012. Both my parents uh, were fighting cancer, and they actually were both placed in hospice at the same time. So we're basically, um, well, this specific weekend that I'm talking about is um, a couple days before my dad actually passed. And we had just worship um, filling the room. And one song that really was important to me, it's by Kirk Franklin, Hosanna, and I just want to sing it to you. It was a great picture of how we were remembering the goodness of God and his character. It goes, the angels bow down at the thought of you. The darkness gives way to the light for you. The price that you paid gives us life brand new. Hosanna forever, we worship you. For you are the joy that my soul longs for. The lamb that was slain for my sins. And the one I adore, king of kings, ruler of everything. Hosanna forever, we worship you. Hosanna forever, we worship you. It is so possible in the midst of a really hard circumstance to lift up God's character, to lift up who he is, and that love from the Lord just comes back on you. So be free with all that you are before the Lord. And in those circumstances, may we be unstoppable worshipers. It can be true for us. Um, I just want to encourage you, dig into the Psalms, especially some of the ones that David wrote during the trials. Um, They're such a good example for you. They're such a good example for me. So dig into those and find, find what David did in the midst of his struggle. So I want to encourage us, take David's example, become unstoppable worshipers, and may we not stop worshiping, choosing to worship, even when life is at its hardest. Let's worship God. Let's declare his character over our hearts, over our mind. Take time to remember how he's helped you in the past and praise him with songs of thanksgiving. 
So another way I would describe David's worship, and this is maybe one of the most fun ones, is that his worship was undignified and God-centered. So if you don't know what undignified means, it means appearing foolish, lacking dignity. So as I go into this next section, I just want to give you a little bit of context, which will help you understand. Um, We're going to back up a tiny bit to the book of Exodus. If you don't know, that's one of the first couple books of the Bible, second one. And we're going to, I just want to tell you about a, uh, an account in Exodus. It's Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai. So God appears to him in the likeness of a cloud. And in that little meeting, God is instructing him to build a tabernacle so God can once again be close to his people who he was separated from because of their sin. So God wanted to dwell again within, among his people. So as part of the tabernacle, Moses built a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant held, housed the um, Ten Commandments and other things that helped people remember the goodness of God. On top of the Ark of the Covenant were two angels. And in between the two angels was a thing called the Mercy Seat. And that's where the presence of God was going to rest um, so God could be with his people again. So in Moses' tabernacle, the ark of God was put into the Holy of Holies, which is that innermost part of Moses' tabernacle. The presence of God was untouchable, mainly unseeable by Israel, except, as you probably know, by one person, one time of year, who was going to make sacrifices for their sins. The Lord at that time wanted to give Israel a physical representation of his presence among him. Yet he was so holy and they were so sinful that at that time in that place, they could not come near. That tabernacle was a place of worship through sacrifice. There was a lot of blood. <laughs> um, there was a, it was a worship, place of worship through offerings, but like grain offerings and all these different types of things you can read in the Old Testament The tabernacle at that time was a great representation, a great example of the holiness and awesomeness of God. Everything in that temple had to be just right. So the ark remained in Moses' tabernacle for quite a long time until the Israelites took it to battle with them and then it got lost and it moved around a bit. Um, Finally, it landed in a place, I won't try even to say the name, but it landed in a place and it stayed there for 20 years until finally David um, became king and it was time for him to have it. So when David became king and he took over the city of Jerusalem, that main hub of Israel, it says in Psalm 132.5 that David wouldn't rest till he found a place for the Lord, a dwelling place. And I put this word habitation for the mighty one of Jacob. So David's desire was to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem, place it at the center of everything, so God's presence, again, could dwell among the nation of Israel. David knew and experienced God in a way that the nation as a whole had never experienced. So once he was king, his desire was to put that, the presence of God at the center of Israel's culture, but now it was going to be at the center of Israel's worship. So David's heart was to create a space for God and for his worship that was totally different than the tabernacle of Moses. And what was about to be set into place was something Israel, like I had just said, had never seen before. So we're going to take a second and transport ourselves back to Israel to the time where David was bringing this amazing Ark of the Covenant that contained God's presence into Israel. So we'll roll that clip. I will dance, I will 
I love watching the Israelites. They're like, what is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? Um, there's a quote by Mike Bickle, which is a guy from, a pastor from IHOP. He says, David's worship was an outward manifestation of an inward reality. So what people were seeing on the outside, what you just watched, was a great picture of all this love that David had for God on the inside. Can you imagine all that swirling around? He just like couldn't contain his love for Jesus, and he actually didn't want it to be contained, so he just let it out. He didn't let anything hold him back. He didn't let the culture of his day hold him back. He didn't let the heritage he came from hold him, hold him back, and he surely did not let humiliation hold him back. <laughs> I think that, so a good question for us, and this is a hard one to kind of ask, but when's the last time we allowed ourselves to worship the Lord like this? When is the last time we did that? I mean, if we love God so much, why do we hold back what we feel about him, right? Why do we hold back? As I was thinking about this little part, I, I um, 
What came to mind were two different movies. You've probably seen the Christmas movie Elf, which is one of my favorite ones. And I was thinking about the time where he bursts in the office and he throws off his hat and he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Anybody remember that part? He didn't care what was going on. He just let out his love for, Je let his love for Jesus come out. And then I thought of another movie, Willy Wonka, uh, the original one. And you have Grandpa Joe and Charlie Bucket, and he just opened the chocolate, which revealed the golden ticket. And Grandpa Joe, who's just been stuck in bed for years, like never stands up, all of a sudden he gets up and he starts like doing a jig around the room, and he's back and forth and crazy. And um, that wasn't what you would expect, but he had so much joy and so much love and excitement for that situation that he just let it out. Does that make sense? And, and these things were like earthly things. They're exciting things um, to be happy about, but these were earthly things. So like how much more um, does God deserve that? He's so much more worthy than these earthly things, right? He is so much worthy. He deserves praise that is outrageous. So if you want to dig into the Bible more about this um, that we watched, this account, you can look at 2 Samuel 6.12 and 1 Chronicles 15. When you look at the 2 Samuel account, you'll see even more of the things that David did that he pulled together um, to give God this extraordinary worship. First of all, he gathered the whole nation of Israel. I mean, how hard is that, right? <laughs> gathered the whole nation of Israel. He gathered singers. He gathered trumpeters, harpists, percussionists, choirs. He pulled out every stop. And it wasn't to give himself glory or to like make him make others think he was so cool. This was because he loved God so much and he thought God was worthy of that type of response in worship. David's worship was not casual, you guys. And I don't, I don't mean that like, he didn't just come as he, are, as he was to God, but he didn't have casual worship. And I believe God is calling us to worship that isn't casual too. I'll give you a good example of something in my life. Sometimes I can be crabby, believe it or not. Um, and sometimes when I'm crabby and my husband, beautiful husband wants to pray for me uh, or pray with me, sometimes I just like will cross my arms and kind of pout and be like, nope. I'm not doing it, um, believe it or not. But um, from, from thinking about this sermon, um, I got convicted. The last time I did that, I got convicted. And God's like, you going to approach me like that? <laughs> I'm like, okay. I will uncross my arms and pray with my husband. <laughs> but um, we are to come casual before the Lord. And I think we come casual before the Lord. I think part of the problem is he's up there, we're down here. God, um, sometimes to our brains... I don't know if this is right or wrong, but my thought is sometimes it's so abstract, it's hard, hard to, hard, it's just hard. Um, but the things we see on earth, they're easy, they're physical, they're right there. But God doesn't want us to come casual to him. He is so much more worthy of awesome worship, right? I hope you're with me. <laughs> I just want to share really quick, did you know that David received backlash when he worshiped like that, believe it or not? Um, there's a picture in that video of a woman looking, kind of scowling out the window. That was his wife at the time, Saul's daughter. I don't know how you say her name, but I'll just call her McCall. Um, she gave him a really hard time for worshiping God like that. But I want to highlight David's response. His response was awesome. 2 Samuel 6.20, David said, it was before the Lord who chose me, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
get this part. I will become even more undignified than this, and that was pretty undignified, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. So David's plan wasn't to even stay in that place. His plan was go, to go even into deeper worship because God was worthy of that worship, right? He was not sorry. He was not sorry for the way he worshiped. So I believe God is encouraging us to go deeper in our worship, not because I told you to, not because Kent encourages you to, because God is worthy of it. He's worthy of our all. Um, I wanted to highlight something that Pastor Kent has shared with you often. He says, if you've never sang before, try singing. If you've never lifted your hands before, try lifting your hands. If you've never knelt before, try kneeling before the Lord. If you've never danced, and that is a really hard one, even for me, <laughs> try dancing. The, the point is, it's all for God who deserves the glory. It's all for God. So may we know about worship that first, it's a weapon, and that the enemy can the enemy will flee when we lift up praises to God. May we be unstoppable worshipers, and may our worship to God be undignified like David's, where we will give everything to God, even if it makes you look like a wild man, because it just might. But God is worthy of extraordinary worship. So in this last part, I just want to share with you something that I think that um, was the most exciting to me when I was studying David, and it's about the, the ark, or sorry, not the ark, the tabernacle of worship that David set up to house the ark of God that he brought um, into Israel. Remember, the ark of God held the presence of God. So the neat thing about this, David was about to bring his personal outrageous worship to another level, and that level was a national level. So he was going to put into effect in Israel a different way for Israel to worship. And in fact, that way that they were about to worship would continue on for thousands of years under the kings who were following God. Um, but for thousands of years, up until even today, and we can say thank you to David for the way that we experience worship here in our church. It's because of him. It's because of him. So remember that David had just brought the Ark of God to Israel, but get this, this time, remember the Ark of, or I keep getting my Ark and Tabernacle confused, the Tabernacle of Moses, the Ark of the Covenant was way back, way separated from the sinful na nation, but this time David brought it into a new tent, a new tabernacle that was open to all people. In this tabernacle, the presence of God could be close to anyone. Now, in my study of this, there was no mention of any ceremonial rituals you'd have to perform or do to get into this tabernacle. There was no need for people to fear that they were going to die or fall over by being in God's presence. So the Ark of God was still a representation of God's supreme holiness, but also now it was a representation of the closeness of God, a representation of a new part of God that Israel actually hadn't experienced quite yet, a God that desired close, intimate relationship with his people. And it was all that David had experienced in his life with the Lord. God was using him to show Israel that they too can have this type of relationship with God. I think that is super exciting. So this was so different than Israel had previously experienced. And I want to mention that this um, was not actually a command from God that David build the um, tabernacle. This was a huge desire on David's 
heart. Now David was super close to God and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So I believe that this was on God's heart, but he didn't actually command David to do it. David felt so strongly in his passion and love for God. He felt so strongly that God should be worshipped in an amazing way. So God, God used David and allowed David to create this place of worship. So this place of worship was 24-7, modeled after heaven, which rhymes, and that's a good way to remember. Um, the worship inside David's tabernacle was unhindered. It was outrageous. It was undignified. It was God-centered. So this new movement was going away from the program of the tabernacle of Moses into presence and obligation that was found in Moses' tabernacle into fascination. And that's a quote by Mike Bickle again from IHOP. I added to that, it was uh, going away from the knowledge of the presence of God, because they knew that the ark was there, but now they're in an experience of the presence of God. And it sounds a lot like what we are, uh, what we have now, right? This is what we are currently living in. I think one neat thing to remember about the ark of, the t of uh, David, well, I keep doing that. <laughs> Thanks for uh, being with me. Um, the tabernacle, it's funny how those words keep going. Um, one thing that was neat about the tabernacle of David is that it was a foreshadowing of the time of Jesus. It was a foreshadowing of close relationship with God, God taking us as we are. Um, the death and, um, it was a good example of what was going to take place after the coming and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I think that is actually really, really neat to know about the tabernacle of David. So inside David's tabernacle, there was music, there were instruments, shouting, raising of hands, there was kneeling, there was dancing, there were new songs coming out of the worshipers from their own hearts. There was prophecy, and all this was to a God who was close and wanted relationship. This was not a worship unto God out of duty or obligation. It was out of relationship. Um, I want to encourage you again to dig into the Psalms, especially the ones that say, like, director of worship. Um, you'll see some of the things that were happening in the tabernacle of David and his worship. So uh, feel free to go and research into that. It's really interesting. So I believe today that God doesn't, he wants us to know that he doesn't want worship out of duty or obligation. That's why he gave us a free will in the first place, because it wouldn't be real love if he made us love him, if he made us worship him. He did create us to worship, but we get to choose who and what we worship, and hopefully we're going to worship God, choose to worship God because of the love that we have for him. I believe God also wants you, wants me to know his character. Not only is God this supremely holy being that we should come to in reverence and awe, but he's also a God who wants to come close to you. He wants relationship with you. And we don't have to fear coming to him. We can come to him as we are. May we, may we come to him and lift up praise to a God who loves us, who desires to be near you, and he desires to be in relationship with you. When you think about the character of God, you can't help but worship him, right? When you think about the love that he has for you. 
I believe, again, I want to encourage us that God deserves great and outrageous praise. And David went the distance to make sure that God was given the very best, not only in the physical matters of the tabernacle, but in our heart matters. David's very best worship. He gave God all he could in every circumstance. He let what was on the inside come out. He let his love for Jesus, or not Jesus, God, come out, not for his glory, but uh, for God's. So what about us? I want to ask that question that I asked you in the beginning here. Does our worship reflect the love that we have in our hearts for God? And if it doesn't, what is holding us back and what do we need freedom from? Is it our culture? Is it our heritage? Is it that maybe no one else is worshiping in that way? Is it other things? Like what's holding us back from giving God all that he deserves? Because that's what we should be doing, is giving God outrageous worship. Whatever that looks like for you, he is worthy. So God is calling us to look inward and reflect. At the end of the day, all we have is us and God. At the end of our life, all we have is he and us. So hopefully, we can come to the place where nothing will get in the way of us and God. That we would pursue God with all of our hearts, whatever that looks like. May nothing hold us back from giving him, the God that loves us, the praise he deserves. So take with you today some things and thoughts about what worship is. The worship is a weapon. That we can be unstoppable worshipers. May we be willing to be undignified before the Lord, and most of all, we're doing these things because he is worthy. At the end of the day, we do these things because he's worthy. Don't do any of those things because I'm telling you to. Get fascinated with God again. (laughs) He is worthy, and he deserves awesome worship. So I'm going to just invite the worship team up here again. Um, I wanted to close our time by just giving us a chance to worship the Lord together one more time um, for a few minutes. So please stand up with me. I'm going to end by reading 1 Chronicles chapter 16. This is the first worship song that David gave the worship leaders to sing around the ark of God in his tabernacle. And then we're going to just join them and sing. So here's what, it, here's what it says. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. His miracles and the judgments he's pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of God. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the promise he has made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel, as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Cana as the portion you will inherit. So sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So ascribe to the Lord, all you families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together one more time. Awesome in this place. Awesome.